friends, it's Neil and Martin here, and welcome to this week's episode of Get Your Comic On. Say hello, Martin. Hello, Martin. <laughs> okay, uh, so it's a very exciting week this week, isn't it? There's been a lot going on this week. Not just that, but this is the first time we're ever coming to you from not one, but two microphones. He's nodding, you're supposed to talk into it. Yes, yes, I'm still getting used to the new microphones. If I'm really quiet or really loud, (laughs) it's because I haven't quite judged the distance. This is the first time we've had two microphones because we've upgraded this week. So on this week's episode, we're going to be talking to you about uh, Disney's Aladdin, which we saw a couple of weeks ago now. We weren't able to talk to you about it uh, until it was out in cinemas because of the review embargo. We're also going to be talking about an X-Men event that we went to this week for Dark Phoenix which was interesting. we got a couple of comic books to talk about, and we're also going to be looking at the finale of Doom Patrol and the first teaser trailer for Picard. What do you want to go with first? Shall we talk about Aladdin, since there's been such a long wait to talk about it? Okay. Well, before we get into this one, have a little listen to the trailer. You. Tea. Aladdin! How did you get past the guards? That was challenging. You cannot just break into a palace like you own the place. If you don't have anything, you have to act like you own everything. You stumbled upon an opportunity. I can make you rich. Rich enough to impress a princess. What would I have to do? There's a cave of wonders. Bring me the lamp. Oh, great one who summons me, I stand by my oath. Loyalty to wishes three. I'm kidding. Watch this. Do you trust me? What Do we need the top knot? That's my little cherry on top. Rated PG. Aladdin was directed by Guy Ritchie and stars Will Smith as the genie, Mina Masood as Aladdin, and Naomi Scott as Jasmine. So we saw this in the cinema like two and a half, three weeks ago now. We had the privilege of getting to go to a preview screening alongside the lovely Hulks. And I had Graham Norton sat behind me too, which was quite exciting, wasn't it? And that other person what um, from... Kate Garraway from yeah, ITV that, News. That's the one. I forget her name, it's just that lady. (laughs) I can see that you're slightly paranoid and staring at your wibbly lines on the screen to make sure you're not too loud. So, having seen the trailer for this film, what were your thoughts about it beforehand? Were you excited to see the film? No, I'll be really honest. I felt like I didn't need another Aladdin. We haven't really watched the live-action Disney movies. I feel at some point that I've seen Beauty and the Beast but didn't really enjoy it and I think I may have slept through most of it. I haven't seen any of the live action Disney movies at all. You've seen Maleficent right? No. I've seen that film too. Okay so I've seen two and you've seen none. (laughs) I obviously must have watched them when you weren't around. Yeah I've not seen any of them. So why were you not excited to see this? I just didn't feel like it needed to be remade. I don't think any of them feel like they need to be remade. No, just leave, <laughs> leave them alone. <laughs> but from, was there anything specific about having seen the trailer that you were that had put you off even going into it with an open mind? It's there's nobody can do Robin Williams other than Robin Williams. But I didn't didn't to slightly skip ahead. I didn't feel like Will Smith was trying to be Robin Williams. But it's just such an iconic character that it just feels like you shouldn't, you just don't go there. It's true. One of those things that you just shouldn't touch. 
Okay. Well, for me, I had I tried to go into it with a really open mind. I would say Aladdin is my favourite of the of the animated Disney movies. So I had that trepidation of I don't want to see one of my favourites from childhood remade and done really badly. But at the same time, I had an open mind and it could have been good. And I liked Naomi Scott because she was the pink Power Ranger in Power Rangers movie in 2017. And, you know. I think there's massive bias already for this review purely because there's a Power Ranger in the film. <laughs> no, no, no. We'll put that aside. You have to put that aside. Uh, but yeah, I was I was anxious about whether it would be good or not. So, okay. Put yourself two and a half weeks ago in your seat in the cinema watching the film. What were you thinking as you were watching it? Oh my god, why have they done this? <laughs> really? For the first half an hour? It took a while to get going, didn't it? It wasn't until they did the Prince Ali scene that it sort of redeemed itself, but that first bit was like, oh god, why? Yeah, I, fair play to them for the new bookend. I thought that kind of worked. I kind of liked giving it some slightly different context as to who was telling the story. And... I thought it was fairly obvious from the beginning how it was going to turn out, although there were certain aspects of it that weren't quite easy to pin down at the beginning. But I think for me in that first bit, it was just a bit lacklustre in terms of the performances, but not the not the physical performances, the, the musical performances. So One Jump Ahead being my favourite song from the original, I liked seeing him do the, 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 like the parkour and stuff, jumping around the city, but the the way he sang the song and the musicality was really fleur. Like, there isn't a word for it. If there was a word, the word would be fleur. It's a, it's a very good word, actually. Yeah. The way I've spoken to a few people about it since the embargo lifted is like you want to kind of grab the film and shake it and put some life in it. Like, come on! Like, there's just, I don't know. It's just really sanitized in that respect. And it's just a bit fleur. Coining a new phrase, fleur. I would agree. It's uh, <clears throat> So it's very exciting. He's doing lots of parkour. He's jumping around. There's a monkey. It's all very like... Yeah. It's a really good CGI monkey. It's a very good monkey. But the song was just a bit dull. And, that, and it's a really good song. Yeah, and there's certain parts of that song, like when he crashes through the window into... Did you tell me it was now a school? No, which was a Yeah, so it's now a school, but it was a brothel. When, when the, the women in that scene do their bit, it's supposed to be it's supposed to be a comedy bit and they're all supposed to be taking the mick out of him but it's just it's all a bit yeah it's like you've interrupted math yeah which isn't as fun as oh it's a brothel but then they really like you just said they really redeem themselves when they do prince ali because they do it on a massive scale and it is probably about as close as you could get to recreating the animated version in a live action movie and it's like so you 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 had the potential in there. You knew you knew how to do it. You managed it once. Why can't you do this for every song? Yeah, but so we had to kind of suffer through that song and then a really underwhelming Cave of Wonders. <laughs> Absolutely. Almost like the Cave of some shiny stuff. <laughs> I thought no, the CGI in that scene was really good. Once again, the stuff that you see in there is very good, but when they do the musical number, that's um, Friend, right? friend like me yes again is slightly labored yeah so a lot of the so when you think about the animation and when they did a friend like me and all the stuff he was singing about you could see that you know but in this version they didn't do half of that so when he was singing about stuff then it wasn't actually happening yeah it was almost like because when we saw on stage that was the same thing 
when I've listened to the soundtrack album to this since it came out, it sounds very much like a Broadway cast recording rather than, and I know that sounds weird because a musical is a musical, but there is something about it that has that slightly more theatre-like quality and a live performance quality than a film recording. And it felt very much like we were watching a recording of the West End show with a slightly bigger budget. And better actors. Uh, that one's up for debate. <laughs> okay, so flash forward to the end of the film, we, getting up out of your seat, leaving the cinema. We've just missed the middle. Your feeling now is... A mixed bag that's left me a bit deflated and I wish they'd just left it alone. I felt disnified. For some reason I was grinning like a Cheshire cat because I was like, oh, they got married. Oh, even though that happened originally anyway. Um, so it managed to do its job for me in that I felt that feeling of, oh, everyone got a happy ending, warm and fuzzy. But then hindsight is a beautiful thing and I just feel a bit cold about the whole thing. I gave it a 5 out of 10 in my review. That's very generous. Yeah. I picked up on the usual stuff though. So like Jafar is a very very undercooked villain who I barely feel like he was in the movie at all. He's not in it enough to have much of a presence, which is a shame because when he is in it, his performance is quite good. He almost doesn't need he didn't need to be there to be fair. His evil laugh was a bit cheesy towards the end. They spoiled Okay, so there'll be a generation of kids that have either seen it because their parents have shown it to them or may not have seen the animated version. And then one of the TV spots shows Jafar as a genie being sucked into his own little lamp. That spoils the whole thing for anybody that has managed to never see Aladdin before. But then I think everybody has seen Aladdin. There must be somebody that hasn't seen Aladdin. If you've not seen Aladdin and you're listening to this, let us know. Because... Maybe you deserve a prize. Your your prize would be to go and watch the animated Aladdin. <laughs> we will sit you down and you can watch the best version of the film. Yeah, don't watch the, this film as your first introduction to Aladdin. What was your favourite song in the film? What was my favourite song? That was your uh, trademark sigh. It was, wasn't it? <laughs> probably Prince Ali. But again, it was it was good, to be fair. It was probably the most redeeming part of the whole film. Still not as good as the animated, but it was good. Yeah. What was your favourite... I don't even need to ask you what your favourite song in this film is, because I've had to listen to it for the past two weeks. No, 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 no. Uh, yeah, right, I suppose. Oh, I feel so bad. Yeah, come on, tell the listeners and be ashamed as you tell them. I'm not... Why would I be ashamed? No, I do think there is an enjoyability factor to the one new song in the film. Mm-hmm. Because it's sung by a Power Ranger. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I don't know if I would say it's my favourite song in the film, though. You've played it enough times. <sighs> well, you haven't been there when I've listened to the other songs on the soundtrack. I quite like Arabian Nights at the very beginning. Although I'm convinced that's not Will Smith that sings it. Uh, but I quite like that song. I'd probably say Arabian Nights was my favourite. It's just that I happen to quite like the Power Ranger and therefore that song is interesting. But that song, which is called Speechless and is the only new song in the film, throws up a million and one questions. I don't, I don't understand that song. I mean, I understand the song. I just don't understand its place in the film and the story or lack of story that goes with it. I mean, I don't understand the song in the first place because it sounds totally different to every other song on the soundtrack. At least everything else has that Middle Eastern influence, whereas Jasmine gets to sing a pop rock song. 
Well, she's just trying to make another Frozen, really. It, it does feel very much like they're forcing a Frozen-type song in there. And there's even a lyric about let the storm in. And is there not a lyric in the Frozen song that's let the storm rage on? Yes. So, I don't know. They're very similar, and there's some similar lyrics in there. But what but I was... she's no Adina Men... Nadim Kazim. <laughs> Nadim Kazim. <laughs> she's no Nadim Kazim. You've had a John Travolta moment. Adina Menzel. That's the one. <laughs> the funny thing is, if you read reviews of the film from people like us with a slightly more comic book background, a lot of us have said the same thing about the scene where she sings that song, which is, why did she Thanos the entire castle? <laughs> It's very weird. Just to give you some context if you've not seen the film, essentially Jasmine's being walked out by two of Jafar's guards. She's being escorted out of the palace, or at least out of the like the main chamber, and suddenly she just turns around and everything goes slow motion and she sings this song. And then whilst the world is in slow motion, she like tears down tapestries and things burn and turn to dust. And then at the end she just walks back to where she was and is captive again. So, so I think in her mind, she was, you know, in, yeah, in her, fighting back. She was, but I don't understand why she couldn't have done that in a scene where she was fighting back, or why, I don't know, it was just very weird. It felt very much like a out-of-place music video in the middle of a film. Well, she doesn't have magical powers to make people go puff. I know. It so was she just, needs to imagine it. It was just very, uh, I don't know, it's weird. It just... It feels like it breaks the dramatic tension of what's going on at that point in the film. I understand it was supposed to ramp it up, and it's a good musical performance and it's a good song, but it just doesn't fit where it is at all. As someone said, like, we need a, a nice contemporary new song to, to beef this up a bit, and we'll just stick it in there. Well, there was a lot to be said for what they did to her character to make it fit with a more contemporary audience. So she has aspirations of being the Sultan, and she gets to become the Sultan, and she's much more powerful than she was in the original. She's not just a girl who wants to get married, there's now a lot more to her, which is nice and will be very uh, be very inspirational to young girls in the audience that there's another Disney princess who is not just a princess, she is somebody who has strength of her own. So I think that's something to reward them for. Yeah, definitely. Who was your favourite member of the cast? Probably Will Smith, to be honest with you. Yeah, I think I would agree. Although I think Mina Masood is really good as Aladdin. Yeah, no, he does a good Aladdin, I'll give him that. The rest of them might as well not have been there, to be honest with you, because I've not really got a huge presence, other than Jasmine. This, out of the, apart from the three leads, well, actually, I take that back. So I, I was going to say out of the three leads, then then there's, there's very little in the supporting cast that makes much of an impact. But Nazim Pedrad as Dahlia the Handmaiden was excellent. Uh, I forgot about her. Yeah. From, from New Girl. She's very, very funny. Or I thought she pretty much stole any scene she was in. And she, again, she was a new character, I suppose, because the tiger wasn't. We didn't really see much of the tiger. In this we didn't film. see much of the tiger, did we? So I suppose in the in the animation, she kind of took over the role of the tiger, even though she the did. tiger doesn't speak in the film. Yeah, if that makes sense. The magic carpet was good. I thought it was animated well. Abu was great. Didn't have quite as much character as Abu in the cartoon, but was animated really well. Yeah, yeah. He did. He did enough to. To sort of hold his own. Yeah. Alan Tudyk, criminally underused as Iago. Nowhere near as much character or presence as the parrot, whatever he is, in the film. No, they might as well have not bothered having them there. Yeah, but then that went with Jafar not really being in the film as much. No, it didn't need to have much presence either. We was just there. And I didn't like that scene at the end. Oh, God, where he stole the lamp with a towel or something. 
I can't remember the scene. Give me some context. So Aladdin's walking through the streets and Jafar's in this alleyway and then he wafts some sheets oh. and pickpockets them. Um, when he's walking through like all the washing that's hanging out. Yeah. yeah. Okay. What in particular did you not like about that? This felt a bit... I don't know. There were certain things about Act 3 that they changed. Rushed. So although he became the Sultan and then he became the Genie, they really scaled it down. Because I was waiting to see the towers of the castle running through the sand dunes and them having to hide in the window. Um, but although they did send him to the Arctic, at least, they put him in the snow for a bit. Yeah, they did. But they did. it wasn't on the same level because obviously it's not an animation, so you can't go quite as wide on a, that kind of budget. No, it just felt really rushed and like, oh God, we ran out of time. Quick, let's just get to the big finish. Yeah. There were definitely some plus points. I definitely, there were, when it was good, it was genuinely very good. But at the same time, it was very fleur. Yeah. When it was bad, it was ooh. See, I think, and did you notice how Genie wasn't blue for very long? Thank God. Blue Genie didn't look very good. It had that very, like, plasticine CGI look to it. So he didn't seem to be blue for very long. And he had that sort of cavil lip going on as well when he ever turned me spoke. <laughs> Don't call it that. Other than that, it's it's a really tough one to call. I kind of want to see it again because I feel like I need to see it twice to really cement in my mind what I think about it, but I don't know whether that will be at the cinema or whether I'll wait and just catch it later on. I think I'd rather just watch the animation again. Yeah, <laughs> that's fair enough. I enjoyed the score as well, so on the on the soundtrack album you've got all the songs, but then you've also got the score, and the score is actually quite good. I like some of the instrumental stuff from the film. It's definitely worth a listen. So final thoughts on Aladdin? It was alright. But I would rather stick to the animation. What would you give it out of ten? Three. Ooh. Ooh, harsh. <laughs> okay, fair Particularly enough. harsh for me. That's, yeah. Uh, well, I, I will stick with my five. I was not offended by it. I did not love it either. There are, there, like I just said, there are bits that I enjoyed and then there are bits that I didn't enjoy very much either. So Aladdin is in cinemas now. I would highly recommend you go and see it just to make up your own mind about it. But we'd love to hear from you. So as always, if you've been to see it and you want to share your opinion with us, let us know on social media at GetYourComicOn or you can find Martin as at BoyWonder89. Myself, I am at NeilVag. We're always uh, we're always open to hearing what you guys think, so just let us know. So the first news story that I wanted to talk about this week was actually something very exciting for me. First, the bit, first part of it made me feel very old. Second part is very exciting. And that was the first trailer for Star Trek semicolon. Picard. So this came out a few days ago on what turned out to be the 25th anniversary of the last episode of Star Trek The Next Generation premiering on TV. I'm old. If I had a beard, I'd be stroking it. I'm old. You do have a beard. No, I just haven't shaved for two days. I'm old. 25 years. That's a a long time. Some people weren't even born. I know. A lot of people weren't even born. Quite a few people weren't born at that point. But that aside, first trailer for Picard. Very arty, very nicely shot. Nice look at the uh, the old vineyard of the Picard vineyard. A couple of bottles of wine of Chateau Picard. One very cool shot of his face. Uh, let's let the guys at home have a little listen to it and then we'll chat about it. Fifteen years ago, today... You let us out of the darkness. 
you commanded the greatest rescue armada in history. Then, the unimaginable. What did that cost you? Your faith? Your faith in us? Your faith in yourself? Tell us, why did you leave Starfleet, Admiral? So I really loved this because I'm really excited for this show, almost more so than Discovery. I think I would agree because this is a classic, it's a return to classic Trek, which is what we're, we've we all been really looking forward to. We want a bit of classic Trek. I'm very excited for the prospect of a bit of Janeway. <laughs> Admiral Janeway, no less. I think ever since, well, ever since Voyager finished and the Next Generation series of movies came to an end, we've never actually seen, I say this with air quotes, present day Star Trek. You mean like a continuation of that timeline? Any timeline. Every movie and TV series has gone back. So Enterprise went back. Discovery went back. J.J. Abrams took the original series back and redid the origin. We haven't ever actually seen what happens next. So we don't know what happens after Voyager got home. You saw Admiral Janeway in Star Trek uh, Nemesis very briefly. And that's the last we ever saw of that timeline. Well... I suppose in the last episode of Voyager, we saw the future. You saw a future? Well, I suppose that's a different future now because Admiral Janeway at the time came back and changed everything. Yeah. And I suppose in TNG, you saw a version of the future as well, didn't you? You did, in All Good Things. Dot, dot, dot. So it'll be interesting to see where we go next, really. So this trailer doesn't give very much away. You, like I said just before we played the trailer, you get to see a couple of nice arty shots of the vineyard, see somebody walking through it. You can see just in the background there's some futuristic cityscape that's on the horizon there. You get to see the bottles of Chateau Picard wine, and then you get to see his face. It's the voiceover that gives the most away. So it talks about how he saved everyone and brought them into the light. And then uh, the, the final question of the trailer is, so why did you leave Starfleet, Admiral? So obviously he became Admiral Picard at some point, but what did he do? Why did he leave? Well, I suppose we'll just have to wait and see. Really. We know that the last thing he kind of was involved with was uh, was Nemesis and the whole idea that Romulus and Remus were uh, in danger. And then if you try and link J.J. Abrams' first film back to Nemesis, Romulus had been destroyed because... Uh, I can't remember the actor's name now, the guy that played Hulk, not Norton, the Hulk before that. His villain travelled back in time after Spock and everyone had failed to save Romulus, remember? It had been destroyed and his ship had Borg technology that they never talked about in the film but was in the special features on the DVD, which I find very exciting. So whether it's related to that or whether it's related to something else that's happened that's a big mystery, I don't know. But it'll be interesting to see it unfold. I just thought it was a very exciting trailer. Very, very exciting trailer. So when is it coming out? Um, I don't know that there's an exact date yet, but it's later this year. It'll be on CBS All Access in America, and we get it on Amazon Prime. 
it'll be Amazon Prime for, for pretty much everywhere outside of America and Canada. Cool. Time to sign up for Amazon Prime. I think it might be. And really exciting, uh, I know the second episode, and I think maybe the third, or at least a couple of episodes, are being directed by uh, Jonathan Frakes, who played Riker in the uh, Next Generation as well. So they've been tweeting lots of pictures of reuniting. And it'll be interesting to see if any other cast members from the Next Generation come back for little guest spots as well. Well, if he's on set directing, he might as well just pop in. Well, in theory, he could pop in, yeah. Old number one. Depends who's alive. They might not all be alive. It's a bit dark. <laughs> well, it's Star Trek. Star Trek is very dark these days. It's not that old. <laughs> well, they're all knocking on a bit in years. Well, I suppose Data couldn't come back because he's not supposed to age. Oh. He's know. dead. He's dead as well. <laughs> well, then, he's got the... the you've got B9. Button. No, B9. B4. B4. I always call him B9. Uh, you've got B4 who was picking up Data's memories. So there's there could be a whole thing there. I mean, they were very much still together in the future in all good things, but that, again, was a different future. But he will have aged. He put grey in his hair in that episode to make himself look like he'd aged. That's, yeah, okay, I'll give you that. But then the actor will have aged, so... <laughs> always interesting to see how they try and handle these things. I'm sure we'll get a bit of Deanna Troy. She always likes to pop up. True. That could be very exciting. She should be off with her husband. They may have had kids by now. There could be kids of characters that we saw before. We may even get a bit of uh, Wesley Crusher. Yeah. Big Bang Theory's over. Not a lot for him to be doing these days. Well, he's got his board game. Board, oh, he wasn't in the final episode, I just realised. Board game show. Slight, sorry, that, I went off on a slight tangent there. Uh, but he wasn't in the final Big Bang Theory. That's sad, given he was a big part of that programme. Yeah, he was, actually. Anyway, uh, love to hear your thoughts on Picard, so let us know what you thought of that trailer. Are you excited? I tweeted the title card from it, and that tweet went completely nuts for at least 24 hours. People kept retweeting it and telling me how excited they were for it. So I think it's going to be a big deal when it finally comes out. We will, of course, be covering it, and I'm sure we'll do some regular reviews on this podcast when uh, when we finally get to watch it later this year. Watch this space. Watch this space. Or listen to this piece. Make it so. Make it so. Okay, so that leads us on to our first comic book talk for this week. What are you going to be telling us about? So this week I'm going to be talking about Justice League Dark. Ooh. Oh, a bit different. So you prepping for Swamp Thing next week? I might, oh, we might be, yeah. So this is issue 11. And it has been written by, no, I can't say this name, James... Tynon the fourth. James Tynon the fourth. Yeah. James Tynon the fourth. I always like it when somebody's got like a, a number after their name. Yes. Uh, normally the second or the third. I've never seen a fourth. <laughs> and pencils are by Alvaro Martinez. Um. Do so you may know James Tynon? Can you tell me what James Tynon's done before? You should know this. Batman Eternal. Yes. Batman Eternal Volume Two. Yeah, I'll give you that. Batman Ninja Turtles. Yes. Batman Ninja Turtles Two. Yes. And currently Batman Ninja Turtles 3. Yeah, so he's a, he's written a lot of Batman. He did The Owls as well. He was involved in The Court of the Owls. Oh, yeah, he was. Yeah, and a lot of other stuff. <laughs> Some other bits. There's loads. Yeah, I'm not going to talk about all of them. So this, so Justice League Dark is very different take on the Justice League Dark. Again, very similar to Teen Titans. So this is coming off the back of No Justice. Yep. So we have essentially seen a complete change to the roster. So as in Justice League Dark in the New 52, we had a nice classic lineup of Zatanna, Constantine, we had Swamp Thing, uh, Dead Man. Yeah. 
and Nightmare Nurse as well towards the end. Oh. Uh, whereas this lineup is led by Wonder Woman. Of course, yeah, she went over after No Justice. So she's very interested in the sort of the magic and mystery side of things. So she's come over to Justice League Dark and she's managed to recruit Zatanna. Uh, They've still got Swamp Thing on board. They've also got Detective Chimp. They have got Man Bat. Oh, really? As well. He is the scientific expert. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. So it's a very, it's a different take. Um, we've not, there has been a bit of Constantine. He's not a member of the team, but he has been involved in certain aspects of the storyline. It's not, okay. he's not had a very happy storyline. I won't spoil it if you've not read it, but it's not looking good for him. We'll put it that way. Oh dear. Yeah. So essentially what's happened is, is that because of this, all this drama with the source wall and, you know, everything's buggered up because of that. And we've got this new source, so the, the original primal source of magic is coming over from the, from the other side. And it's this other kind is trying to absorb all the magic in the world, basically, and kill all magic. Oh, okay, yeah. And so obviously the Justice League Dark is trying to stop this from happening. But it's, we're in a bit of an arc at the minute, which is called the Lord of Orders, basically. So we've got our good old Doctor Fate, who has taken... A slightly different view on this other kind coming to steal all the magic and he's actually quite up for that so he's resurrected all the other lords of order yeah and they're trying to destroy all magic at this moment fairly low-key story by the sounds of it story, yeah <laughs> so this issue was quite good so essentially um so Zatan and wonder Woman are off trying to find the lord of chaos yeah to try and counteract the lord of order and there's also another storyline ongoing with Detective Chimp trying to protect the Magic Kingdoms, and it's all just getting a bit. Not the same kingdoms from Shazam, game. though. Just yep. So we. Oh, it is. Okay. We've been to the Rock of Eternity, and we're just at the minute we're off to the very the heart of where Magic began because mm. we're trying to hide out there. Swamp Thing's quite upset just purely because of what happened before this storyline. So you yep. may have heard the Hecatate storyline. Yes where Wonder Woman turned out to have a witch god inside of her who destroyed the green. So she completely destroyed the green, so a swamp thing is the only thing remaining left of the green. Oh, right, okay. So it's quite sad for him. So magic's in a very bad place at this moment in time, guys. It's not looking good for anybody here. Um, What, I, what was I saying? So essentially, I'm going to show you the last panel, which is really pretty cool to be honest with you he's turning it round so essentially Zatanna and Wonder Woman have gone off to find the Lord of Chaos and he's given them a boost of magic and they've sort oh. of transformed into the new Lords of Chaos and they're looking pretty badass um they are what we think the chances are that people think that's a slightly uh over sexualized version of Wonder Woman because she's wearing nothing but a gold W a gold set of W's on her chest they look very uh, strong, though. Yes, uh, it's a bit, it's a bit raunchy, <laughs> and Zatanna's looking a bit sort of heavy on the old cleavage as well. When you turn that round, I it looked almost like Wonder Woman had been merged with Katana. It's almost like she's wearing Katana's mask. Yes, I mean if you've not seen it, so she is, so she's bald essentially. The, yes, it's a, it's an interesting look. She's bald and she's got a gold W across her chest and not a lot else. <laughs> And Zatanna looks like a one-eyed rock star. So they've now been souped up with extra magical powers to help them with this final battle. Yeah, so they're okay. all going off to sort of fight. I assume to try and take down the laws of chaos and then get rid of the other kind. 
So what made you want to talk about this one? So I've been quite enjoying this series. I do love a bit of Justice League Dark and this has taken a very different spin on the Justice League Dark. Again, so much similar to the Teen Titans, it's not a usual lineup. Yeah. And it's taken on a quite a big storyline with these that kind it of sounds like it. across the whole universe. Yeah. And it links in quite nicely with all the other just different types of Justice League teams. And I quite like how all these storylines are always coming back to the source wall, having an effect on everything. Yeah, it's nice that everything is tied in. Although that really means that Scott Snyder is the centre of the DC universe right now because it's his story. His story is essentially driving pretty much everything yeah. from that respect. Which is quite nice, actually. So I'm quite intrigued to see where this goes in the end. Yeah. Scores on the doors out of ten? I'm going to give this one a seven and a half. Ooh, why the half? Just because I can, really. Okay. Yeah. It, it loses a half mark because there are a bit racy at the end. <laughs> Costume-wise. Okay. Well, thank you very much. We look forward to hearing uh, what comic book you will be talking to us about. Maybe not next week, but maybe the week after. The reason I say that being that whilst you're all listening to this, we're recovering from three days at MCM Comic Con in London and it'll be our MCM special next week. We've got a lot going on, so we may not fit in a couple of comic books next week, but we'll see what we can do. We'll see what we can do. If you've got any requests or comics that you want us to chat about as well, let us know. We're very happy. We're always interested to take requests and read something a little new. So I think that now is as good a time as any to have a little chat about uh, Doom Patrol, the final episode. Not called Final Patrol, but referred to fondly as Ezekiel Patrol. Have a little listen to the preview for this one, as always, and then we'll have a little chat about it. The race car driver, the basket case, the test pilot, Hollywood actress, and Cyborg, a real superhero. LOL. You both of us want the chief. Come and get it. What exactly is the plan here? Send a text to Batman. <laughs> yes! So I'm really sad this is over. I'm really sad it's over as well. It's been a long journey of 15 episodes. It certainly has, yeah. Uh, I actually think this was the most bonkers of the whole the whole lot of them. When you think about the first kind of 10-15 minutes that were fairly slow, and I almost thought, ooh, where's this going? It then just goes pretty much nuts. Completely nuts. Like inside of a giant rat. Then inside of a cockroach kind of nuts. And then you've got some interspecies relations. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was creepy. <laughs> okay, start at the beginning. So we picked up where last week's left off, and they, uh, they're with Danny the Street, who they're trying to figure out exactly what to do to get Niles back and sort out Mr. Nobody. Mr. Nobody ending up not being the villain of the series. No, that was interesting. So we kind of we got to the end, and he's like, "You've got to tell them, Niles. Tell them the truth." Yeah. And what was the truth? That he's just not a very nice man. Yeah. But then it's quite sad in a way because it's almost like he was searching for a family, so he had to make his own family. But it he was, did it in a yeah. very wrong way. In making his own family, he used them all to his own end which was to try and extend his own life for the sake of his daughter yeah whose face we didn't see 
No, but I, was, I did get very excited there. You got very excited. Yeah. So uh, if you've been listening to us talk about Doom Patrol for the for the length of this season, apart from that little gap in the middle where we sort of stopped, uh, you'll know that we were saying when it first started that we hadn't read any Doom Patrol, but Martin has actually now finished Volume 1 of Grant Morrison's Doom Patrol run and has a bit more insight as to what's going on. So you got very excited, didn't you? I, did. I mean, don't ask me exactly what's going on because much like the TV series, it is a very weird comic book. Um, and it is a very bizarre storyline, but we do. I did. I have met Chief Star in the last issue. But they certainly spent the last two episodes setting up Mister Nobody to be something different to what we thought he was. I mean, his his origin that was in the last episode set him up to be a bit of a loser, and at this point, you kind of feel slightly sympathetic towards him because really he wants to be bad, but he's just not very good at being it. He is just a nobody. He is just a nobody. Yeah, he is Mister Nobody. So I think there was some great irony in pulling the rug out from underneath us because we actually met Ezekiel in the first episode, or was it the beginning of the second one? He's there, right at the very beginning of this story, and is not really a constant all the way through like Mr. Nobody is, and then bang, he's back. Giant. And, and, and giant, and then not so giant. It was a good culmination of the whole season, though. They tied everything up really nicely. So you saw them really re- properly functioning as a team and functioning as a team for real. Rita stepping up and standing in the street and kind of facing down the villains first hand. You had... I was surprised we didn't really tie up anything more with um, Robot Man and his daughter. I, I don't know why, but I figured that might come back this season, but obviously not. You got a little bit more closure for, for old Vic after that very weird dream sequence that he had where he was laughing at himself. I found that very creepy. Oh, when he was, like, doing surgery on himself, covered in blood, then laughing at himself. Yeah. yeah. It's a bit weird. He was kind of dreaming that the prophecy of the painting was going to come true, and then that obviously turned out to be a dream, and thankfully it didn't come to pass. No, that was just Mr. Nobody being Mr. Nobody. It was. No karaoke in the karaoke bar this time, though. No, but it was a very sad time for Danny in the street. It wasn't a happy time for him to be trapped in a painting. No. Being blown up by a giant rat, a giant cockroach. We had, so we had a lot of characters return, like the cockroach and the rat... And it led to some very weird. It's. It's. <laughs> I'm finding it difficult to talk about it just because it. Uh, it. It's just so weird. Well, I, as I said, interspecies relations. So there was a very very crazy scene of a cockroach and a rat, tonguing each other in the street. Whilst Cliff jumps from, from one to the other. One to the other. By the mouth. Yeah. Because he was stuck inside. He was in the, the rat's rat. stomach, and he clawed. He clawed his way out. And then crawled along his tongue into the cockroach. <laughs> However, uh, in a great moment of representation, they were, they were both male. There was a, there was a homosexual interspecies relationship, so they were still going for that whole representation thing that they've been uh, kind of beating the drum for all season. It was just really really weird. But then, in a way, because it's been so weird anyway, it felt. It sort of worked. Oh yeah, it did. Yeah, let's. Uh, do you know what? I think the easiest way to talk about this is to to talk about each of the characters. So, how did you feel about the chief where he is at the end of the season? So I think we've 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 seen a difference. So we've gone from the chief of being the sort of all encompassing good guy looking after people to being the chief that we've seen in Titans. Yes, because in that because he was the guy that sort of comes in, gives them some of this drug. And helps them for his own benefit, basically. Yeah. 
Yeah. Because he wants to experiment and sort of further his own goals. I felt sorry for him at the end. Uh, I, like other people, thought for a split second that it was going to turn out that Crazy Jane was his daughter. That was... I really felt like it was going that way, and I'm, I'm glad it didn't, but it got me for just a minute. But I do... I feel I feel sorry for him. Not in a... Not in, like, a sympathetic way. In, like, a... Do you know what? You've done some really bad stuff, and I feel sorry for you because it's come back to bite you in the ass kind of way. Oh... Uh, he's just shown me a picture of <laughs> the chief's daughter in the comic book. That's interesting. So I wonder if that's what she'll look like. She's got the pigtails. Well, I mean, I suppose if you think about it, so he he spent all that time in a cave with a Neanderthal. Yeah, exactly. So this is clearly the the daughter of that relationship. Okay, uh, Larry. How do you feel about Larry? I'm, I'm feeling pretty good about Larry. So I mean, it almost cause it him time and... jumped a little bit into the future, didn't it? So he's now got much greater control over the the energy being inside that he doesn't immediately pass out when the when it comes out of him. So that's something that we see a bit more in the comics as well, where he's got that sort of control, where he, yep. the negative man can leave the body, but for a very short a period of time. So you'll say, oh, he's only left me with five minutes left of energy. So. Oh, right, okay. So he has like a energy meter that runs out. Yeah, it's almost like, a, you know, put another 50p in him and it'll be fine. Okay, that's interesting. So it seems like we're, so this episode we're kind of catching up as to where they are in the comics, basically. I felt a bit indifferent on Larry in this episode because he wasn't in it very much, I think. But then there's been so much of him through the rest of the season that it, it's fine to give somebody else a minute. He, I think to have kept pushing and pushing and pushing with him would have been too much. So I feel I feel good about where he ended the season. Yeah, I mean, we've had a lot of character development anyway. So I think this episode just was tying everything together and having a, a big fight, but not the fight we were expecting to have. There's, there's, I don't think anyone throws a punch, particularly. No, but they throw a giant cockroach true uh okay uh robot man yeah so again we, we we see more of this relationship between him and crazy jane him being the sort of the the caretaker and the protector yeah, so he was looking after her to. from a distance in the future when she's kind of become a bit of a druggie yeah we got to see a bit more of dr joshua as well who again is very important in the comics he is the the caretaker of the team the physician oh yeah uh alami ballard uh the quizmaster from Sabrina the Teenage yes, Witch. Yeah, the quizmaster, yeah. Because uh, I know he's in the mansion or the broken down place looking after the old Doom Patrol. Yeah. So we saw him earlier on in the season, didn't we? Yeah. Okay. Cliff. Uh, again, I feel slightly indifferent on him in this episode. He didn't have a huge amount to do, but I did love the comedy of him being stuck inside the, the rat and then having to, to climb out. So reversing the roles where the rat was inside him and now he yeah. was inside the rat. Crazy Jane. You'll notice I'm leaving. Who I know is your favourite character to the end. She had a bit, bit of bit. Uh, she had a bit of stuff to do because she took that drug. I felt really sorry for her when she was just stuck in the truck, kind of almost living in the streets kind of situation, living out of the truck with nothing, drugged up, trying her best to basically end herself. But then it's interesting because we've got what the sixty-four personalities protecting Kay. Yeah. And Kay turned out to be the chief's daughter. The chief's daughter. Yeah. And we got cameos from several of the uh, of the different personalities again this in this episode. They really did bring back a lot of people for this one. Yeah. So I suppose that, I mean, that brings up a lot of other questions because when we go back to thinking, when we go into Crazy Jane's mind, um, you've got the, the bad dad. Yeah. So is that... Oh, is that Niles? Is that Niles or is that Jane projecting that on to, to Kay or... Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see where that goes. 
Mm, yeah. So they haven't officially announced season two, but it's it's pretty much a go. It's bound to happen, considering how successful it was. I know that this one's going to make you smile as soon as I say it, but how do we feel about Rita Farr at the end of the season? Oh, God love her. Easily your favourite character, I think. I think so. I, that's quite like, I think she's quite funny. I know, we've come a long she's way from episode one where, she, where that leg drove me mad. Yeah, I mean, she's an excellent actress. April Belby's been amazing. She did a really nice appearance on DC Daily as well where she talked about the series and they've all been talking about it in every episode since that they just love her and they think she's really nice. And I did like her little bitch like, oh God, I'm going to have to get inside a giant cockroach. She accepted it. Yeah. So where, where she was absolutely desperate not to go into the donkey's ass, she, uh, she Understandable. accepted that she was going to have to go into the cockroach. She definitely, I think, takes the award for the most character development across the season. Ever so slightly more than Larry. I would say Larry is pretty close, with probably Jane and Cliff looking somewhere slightly behind. I missed Vic. Um, we'll get to him in a second. But she, yeah, I think I'd say she was. She's been my favourite character probably overall in the season. I do. I quite like the dynamics between her and Larry, though. They complement each other quite well. They do very well. They're like the mother-father role almost. What about Vic? What about Vic? I mean... Again, didn't feel like he had much of a presence in this episode, but no. he was he was there blasting stuff in, in you know, inside the painting and everything. Yeah, he was just there, really. Yeah, I wonder about whether it now needs to move him on slightly, whether he needs to come over to Titans at some point in Season 2, or he just needs to transition off elsewhere, I think. I think we've done everything we can with him. That there. sounds really harsh, I, but... I don't mean that he's not a good character. I just mean he's he's been that loner kind of guy. He's found some like kinship with these characters, but also in the course of the last few episodes, he's found out what really happened to his mum. He's had the whole thing with his dad where he beat him up because of Mr. Nobody kind of clouding his judgment. And they've come to a place of acceptance in their relationship that I think that they can probably move on now. It feels like he's done everything he can do and he can go on to bigger and better things. Yeah, he can take those steps to the Justice League, so Titans. Yeah. But then that, that's going to be a very busy cast if you've got Donna and Jason and the rest of them. Yeah. We'll see. We shall have to see. Highlight moment of the episode for you? I think them coming together as a team. So acknowledging yeah. that the Chief was a bad man, but accepting that, you know, okay, you shouldn't have done that, but if he hadn't done that, then we wouldn't have been all together. So pulling together as a team and then socking it to the cockroach. I would agree as I think the 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 like the excitement of that was that they all chose to do it. They didn't feel like they had to. They didn't have to do it for the chief. No one was forcing them to do it. They all individually chose to be a hero. And I think that's a that's a nice little message for it to close out this first chapter on. Anything you didn't particularly like about it? No, I mean it was weird, but it's always weird, and I quite like that. So <laughs> no, it was. I would say More the same. There wasn't anything in particular that I would say was a was a low light for me. Scores on the doors out of ten. A solid eight. I would say eight as well. I think, and with that, we sign off on Doom Patrol for season one. Ah, oh. if you've not seen it. Go and watch it and accept the weirdness and embrace it. Hopefully Netflix will announce that they're going to show it internationally at some point soon. Otherwise, there are ways by which that you can watch this show. But it is, it's so worth it. And that means that next week, 
we will have the first episode of Swamp Thing, which is, uh, well, I'd say it's looking pretty exciting, but we would already know that having seen the uh, first two episodes. <laughs> but we can't tell you about that just yet. But it is very exciting. It is very exciting indeed. And that is uh, the pilot's directed by Len Wiseman, who directed uh, the first couple of Underworld movies and is one of the, the masterminds behind Underworld, which is, you know, a, a solid little movie uh, franchise that we both quite enjoy watching. It is a family favourite. And it's uh, executive produced by James Wan as well, who directed Aquaman and is known for his, his horror roots. So it's it's going to be something really special, I think, when it starts. The first episode's on uh, DC Universe on May the 31st, so you can catch it from then, and we'll be picking it up for review in a later episode of the podcast. So what comic would you like to bring to the table today? So I'm going to be talking about issue 20 of Saban's Go Go Power Rangers. Ooh, it's a bit different. Yeah, so it's from Boom Studios, who uh, now do the new version of Buffy and Angel. And uh, it's written by Ryan Parrott, with art by Eleonora Carlini and Simona... Whoa, never going to be able to pronounce this. Simona G- D- Gianfelice. DJ and Felice. That sounds about right. Uh, Coloured by Raul Angulo and a cover by Marcus Toe. The little synopsis for this is, with Rita on the hunt and the students of Angel Grove in danger, the rangers are forced to make fast choices to protect their friends. With the clock ticking, Zack must decide whether he will listen to Zordon or disobey the direct orders if it means helping others. So this started out 20 issues ago as a companion series to the main Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. It uh, So the main series focuses on the typical kind of action that you would see in an episode of the series. So you get little bits of them in their high school life, but focuses on them morphed and fighting against Rita or Lord Zed or whoever it is and their particular villain of the week. And then you get the Megazord action and it, it has that normal type of formula. Whereas this series was set up to focus a little bit more on the teenage drama. So it uh, it looks at them a little bit more when they are out of costume and what's going on in their normal kind of everyday lives. And a lot of it is centred around different time periods before what they call Arrival Day, which is the day when Rita and Monsters first attack. So this issue focuses on Zack and starts out five years before Arrival Day. And it starts out with a little flashback where he first goes to uh, Ernie's Juice Bar, that you will remember from the series, where they all hang out. And you get to see... The opening day of Ernie's so they have a little ceremony to open it and Zach doesn't really want to go he doesn't want to do that he just wants to stay at home and kind of do his normal thing play computer games or whatever and whilst there he meets Jason for the first time so you get to see the first meeting of the two characters and how they come to be best friends flashes forward to the present day and the juice bars being attacked by Goldar and Rita's um, little army of monsters and you get to see a little bit of the action there but again of the team in normal costume, not dressed as the Rangers. And it's just really cool because it focuses on much smaller character moments rather than the stuff that you expect from Power Rangers. And it's quickly become probably my favourite of the two different versions of that franchise, just because it does something slightly different with it. Although they're doing huge things with the story in the main series, having done the uh, the Battle for the Grid storyline and bringing in Lord Dracon, it is still just... Power Rangers, but ramped up to like an 11, whereas this just really turns up the character and it's interesting to see the dynamic between them. And similar to what they've done with Buffy more recently, it's slightly contemporized, so you do get to see the characters fleshed out a little bit more into what you would expect them to be like in a a modern day version. 
so there's there's a bit of a relationship that goes on between between Jason and Trini, which is interesting. Red Ranger and Yellow Ranger, just because of what's been happening in the story, it kind of pairs them off. And there is some typical action in there. There's a different version of Alpha as well from another dimension that's come into it because it does companion with the storyline that's going on in the other series. But there's just a lot going on that makes it really interesting to read and it really fleshes out the whole franchise of Power Rangers in a way. Sounds very exciting. It is. It's cool. And they also, they're not just fleshing out the, the, the heroes, they're fleshing out the villains as well. So in the the latest couple of issues, we've met Rita's mum and we're learning about who Rita's dad was. And actually, the mum very much wants her to be a force for good, not a force for evil. The dad was evil and it's a whole good versus evil comes together kind of thing. And how Rita is slightly torn as a villain, but ultimately leans towards the dark side. There's a bit of a, probably a bit of a Star Wars analogy going on in there. It's just a very, it's a very fun, very cool little series. It's not too heavy. It's not the kind of thing that you read and afterwards you're a bit like okay like i need a minute like give me a minute it's just it's good it's fun it's quite high on spectacle the artwork is excellent every single issue has been really stunning in terms of the artwork it's a great one to look at as well as to read really well written definitely something that i think people who aren't necessarily fans of the tv series could also get into as well because it fleshes it out a lot more and um, what are your scores on the doors? Uh, ooh, I would give this issue a eight. I would give this an eight out of ten. That's really fun read. Sorry, I was a bit more brief there than you were with yours, but it's just it's very very succinct. <laughs> Thank you. So our last little segment for this week, we're nearly at the end. We're going to talk about X Men Dark Phoenix because we got to go to a special little event this week where we. Uh, we saw probably about 20, 25 minutes, maybe half an hour of the film. I think it was about half an hour, to be fair. It was quite long. Yeah, so we got invited along to uh, to an event in London, which was called the, the Dark Phoenix Fan Event. We went along with uh, with Nicola from We Have a Hulk and uh, Rob from Earth 9 DC Podcast. And we got to sit down and watch three extended clips from the movie. Alongside a Q&A with uh, Simon Kinberg, who is the writer and the director, who also wrote Apocalypse, but we don't talk about that, and Days of Future Past, and has been working with X-Men as a franchise since The Last Stand, if not slightly before that. And we don't talk about that either. <laughs> so he was there, and also uh, Michael Fassbender, who plays Eric slash Magneto. You had James McAvoy, who was obviously Professor X. Jessica Chastain, who plays someone in Lady Dark Phoenix. <laughs> And Sophie Turner, uh, Queen in the North, Queen in the North, uh, Jean Grey slash Phoenix. So we went along to the Picture House Cinema, which is uh, just off Piccadilly Circus in London. And there was a little red carpet and they had a cool little reception event with uh, with free booze. Always love a free booze. There were some cool little photo ops. Uh, if you follow us on social media, you'll have seen that we did a, we did a funny little uh, like group photo in front of the poster where I thought everyone was going to do a mutant pose. And then everyone actually just did an X and I did my Charles Xavier impression and looked like I'm trying to command the entire photo. And there was also there was some there was some Awkward. games and stuff. They 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 had the little chessboard set up if you wanted to do a, a Charles versus Eric game of chess. And then we went and sat down and, and did the Q and A session and watched the film. A little bit disappointed that our goodie bag had like a, a, a X Men Dark Phoenix bingo dabber and bingo card, but we never actually got to play it. No, and the 
did Dabber did cause a lot of drama as well, or was, my Dabber caused a lot of drama. Your, your, well, no, it was mine. Oh, you were yours, trying to, you yeah. were trying to fix my Dabber, and uh, unfortunately, covered everything that you were wearing and I was wearing in red ink. Yeah. It washed out, thankfully. That's the good news. It did. It washed out. Although I did have to iron an extra shirt for the following day at work, because <laughs> there was a lot of red ink. <laughs> it was. So it was hosted by uh, by one of the guys from the Empire podcast. He came out and kind of introduced everything, and they did a little quiz first and gave out some signed posters. They had some cosplayers who were there, all dressed up as the X-Men, which was kind of cool. Uh, it took me a while to work out that one of them was Ghost Rider, which... Yeah, I didn't get that. No, because uh, he didn't have a skull, but he had the fire. That was what I didn't get. It was like, we have fire around you, but no skull. I thought it was like Ruffle Man or something. I couldn't work it out. <laughs> Brightly shining Ruffle Man. Yeah, it's... And then, uh, so then they sat down and did the Q&A, which was really interesting. Rob actually took a couple of videos, uh, which he kindly gave to us, and they're on our YouTube. There is uh, a quick interview snippet with Sophie Turner talking about being Jean Grey. And there's also, he managed to record uh, Fassbender and McAvoy talking about their characters as well, which is really cool. There were a few bits of really interesting information. It's interesting listening to Simon Kimberg talk about this, because not only is it the first film he's directed, but... He wrote The Last Stand, which was the first live-action attempt at Dark Phoenix. So he's now taken two stabs at this story. But could you not... I very much got from hearing him talk that he regrets some of the things that he did the first time around. And regardless of whether the movie turns out to be a success or not, I think he genuinely wanted to atone for getting it so wrong the first time. Yeah, I think so. I mean, that came across quite a lot when he's like, oh, you know, Last Stand, we don't talk about that. But this is a chance to fix that. Yeah. Uh, I, if this doesn't do very well and ends up being equally as disrespected as that film, then I will feel bad for him because people forget that he wrote Days of Future Past, which will be a lot of people's favourite X-Men movie for, for the rest of time. Yes, he wrote Apocalypse, which people didn't like as much. And yes, he wrote Last Stand. But he's been involved in every X-Men movie of this whole period that people think is more successful. And so it's a shame that his... His legacy will be slightly tarnished by the low points than it, he will be respected for the high points. Because I think he's done some amazing stuff with these characters. And I, for one, am still not very happy about seeing them go back to the MCU. I don't want to see a sanitised version of the X-Men that is just uh, Avengers repeat. I don't. That won't feel to me like the X-Men. But you know what? It's not happened yet, so I have to go into it with an open mind. What was your favourite part of the Q&A? Um, I quite like the free popcorn. I know that's probably not what you're expecting me to say, but it was really nice. That way you just tried to eat my bag of popcorn. Well, I didn't realise you hadn't re- opened it yet. I was like, oh, <laughs> that's another bag of posh corn. <laughs> right, okay. So being more serious, um, it was nice to hear their perspective on the characters as well, because they were quite jovial about it at times. They were. I really enjoyed listening to James McAvoy talk about his journey as Charles Xavier, so from stu- from student to uh, drug addict to teacher, but we don't talk about that movie, to whatever we find him as now, which I think, judging by the clips, is something slightly cocky to begin with. Yeah, it does actually. So no, it was quite interesting to see that. And it was good to, to get a glimpse of what the film may look like as well. I was shocked as to how much of the film we actually got to see. So we knew beforehand... The whole thing. <laughs> yeah. We knew beforehand that we weren't going to get to see the whole film because all the correspondence about the event had said it would include a special sneak preview. Nothing said 
welcoming you to a screening. So we knew about that beforehand. And what we got to see was three extended clips. So the first one, all stuff that we've seen small snippets of in the trailers as well. So the first one was the space mission. So we didn't just see the X-Men in space. We saw from the moment the Blackbird rises out from the basketball court and takes off into space to the whole space mission, to Jean being infected with the Phoenix Force. But we also then got to see them come back and arrive back on Earth and then a little bit of what happens afterwards. And it cut off just when we were about to learn probably the origin of uh, Jessica Chastain's character. So what did you think of this clip? Oh, I should say, actually, sorry to cut you off before you start, but um, a section of this clip is available on our YouTube channel. So if you head over to YouTube and just search Get Your Comic On, we've got uh, a number of clips on the movie, including the space mission. What did I think of this clip? It was okay. I felt a bit cringy at the start with that really awful CGI basketball court. See, I didn't get that that was CGI. I mean, obviously I knew it was CGI, but it didn't feel bad to me. It was just when it was sort of opening up, I thought, oh, God, that's not good. Okay. I don't know why I just honed in on that. Yeah. Um. Yeah, that kind of distracted away from the rest of this. I mean, the rest of it was a bit exciting, you know, going into space. I thought it was really and... nice seeing them, as as Simon Kimberg said when he introduced the clip, something that we've never seen in any X-Men movie particularly is them really fully functioning as a team. Yeah. And we saw that here. Like, um, Mystique was, you know, saying, like, Nightcrawler, you do this. Gene, you do this. Scott, you do this. And everyone was acting as a team. There was a very defined team leader and there were very defined actions that each of them took and they worked together. And that was that was really cool. I also really like the new uniforms. Yeah, I do like the uniforms. It does it reminds me of the that comic that I read was that was then cancelled last minute. All new X Men. Yeah, because they really the uniforms are very similar and I really like those designs. They were based off designs from Frank Quietly. Quietly. Most call him quietly. <laughs> Don't shout. <laughs> what did you think of this scene? So I didn't I didn't notice the the dodgy CGI that you pointed out, but I will go back and watch it again just to see whether I can pick up on it. I I really enjoyed it. I think this was my favourite clip of the three, just because, like I just said, about them work functioning as a team. I'm really intrigued by what this cloud is that goes through Gene, because if we're not going to go down the route of um, intergalactic being, which we, we might not be not going down that route, we don't know for sure, but if we're not going to go down the, the, like, the Shi'ar route, and Lelandra and that stuff that they did in the cartoon, uh, then it's going to be interesting to see where they do go with it. It was really teasing to finally see part of Jessica Chastain... I keep calling her Chastain. Chastain's character. So we got that tiny little section where you saw her not with the weird white hair, but looking a little bit more normal, having dinner with their family when the dog's barking and she goes outside, and something happens to her outside that we didn't get to see that obviously causes her to be whatever she becomes and, and this thought, is a new character that you said is nothing yeah this is brand new uh or a huge uh twist and they're saying that and that's just a to throw you off the scent but i thought that was a really good tease so i think that was my favorite of the three. Second clip we may get we may get controversial on some pronunciation now so the second clip was uh magneto and jean Shortly after she has killed a major character in the in the film, when she goes to visit him on what I would refer to as Genosha, because that's what they called it in the cartoon, but in this movie is referred to as Genosha, which to me felt wrong. This is a race rouse situation, so I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with what feels comfortable, which is Genosha. So you get to see Jean arriving there, 
and you get a little bit of uh, dialogue between Jean and Magneto, which is then interrupted when the army arrive. And they, they went to great lengths to explain to us that this is like proto-Genosha. This isn't the shining city that you see in the comics or in the cartoons, and that you know, like you've seen in the cartoons of the past. This is a very early version of it. They've just created this this little community, having been given the 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 island by the American government. So it's mainly built out of shipping crates and things like that. It's very very like haphazard in the way it's put together. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't you've know just what done it again. Is. That's your second sigh of the episode. It is. I'm just trying to formulate a thought on this on these clips i was really impressed so if if you don't mind me speaking for a second uh i was really impressed by what they explained to us afterwards that the stuff with the helicopters was pretty much 95 percent practical yeah that was impressive i give them that i mean that was really well done there was some exciting action that goes on with helicopters being thrown around by both magneto and gene uh with people in and without people in and it was explained to us that actually they built some special rigging using two cranes and did actually suspend helicopters from it without blades because, you know, you don't want to put anybody in danger. But um, it was it seems like this film's going to lean way towards practical effects over CGI, which is really great. Although, whilst all that practical stuff was going on, Jean's slow motion hair was very CGI. Yeah, it was actually. I mean, she was sort of floating in and floating out. Yeah. You know, like crazy Phoenix yeah. force or whatever. Yeah. What did you think of this one? Um, I think it gave, it gave a lot of the story away. In what way? I don't know. There was just a lot of stuff that you were like, oh, so that's what happens. Or, okay, well, we so already that's... know who dies because it's been shown in a trailer and they've discussed it very openly as to oh, who I dies. Oh, I didn't know that. So. Oh, right. Okay. So it's been it's very openly discussed. Spoiler alert for the next like, five seconds if you want to skip it. That Mystique dies. Yeah, see, I didn't pick. And when, they, when we saw the third clip, I was like, oh, well, they've just sort of ruined half the story here. Yeah, so no, they've been. So Kinberg has said it in interviews. Mystique dies, and I presumed that that was going to happen from the beginning because Jennifer Lawrence just hates putting that makeup on and does not want to be in these movies. I don't think that she dislikes them. I'm not saying she hates doing it. I just don't think she likes the makeup process, and she's been very vocal about it. So she's only in this one for like Act One. So she'll do that whole mission to space. She'll be the leader of the X Men, and then she dies in the scene in the trailer that I just recreated at uh, Comic Con. Oh, uh, yes. So a lot of the movie is going to focus on what happens after that, that Eric's going to want to take her down because she killed Raven. And they've got that special bond that yeah. brings them out of sort of being peaceful, building his Genosha. <laughs> Poor Magneto. He, you know, he uh, he was a villain and then he wasn't. And then, and he, then was. he was married and then his family got killed. And so he wasn't a villain anymore. He wasn't a, you know, hero anymore. <laughs> he just... He snaps in and out of hero and villain at, at, at will. Anything else you want to say on this clip? No, I think it's, you know, it's it's very very good use of practical effects. Yeah. And it does sort of, it brings in a lot of extra things that we've not seen on live action before, like Genosha, or whatever you want to call it. Genosha. Genosha. Ganache. Ganache, yeah. It's almost like Knife. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it was in, yeah, interesting. Yeah. So third and final clip was... I think difficult to place in this movie, and there's been some uh, some debate over this one as to whether it's part of the third act or whether it's still quite central to the movie, because we know that they refilmed a lot of the third act, and supposedly it went from being in space to being set on a train. Now, I think from the trailers, that's uh, a military train that we've glimpsed 
with with soldiers who are uh, in uniform with a patch on their arm that says MCU, which is quite ironic. The X Men being captured by the MCU, get it? Analogy uh, for what's happening yes. in real life. Well done. But I don't think that that's the train sequence that we saw in this clip because that was an underground car and not this armored train thing that you see later on. So what we saw in Act Three was uh, Magneto and his team, featuring a character who you wouldn't necessarily expect to be on Magneto's team, facing off with Charles and his team in New York whilst they're both trying to track down Phoenix Jean. So you got to see a bit of a fight in the street and then uh, a very cool practical effect where Magneto pulls a subway car through the wall of a building. What do you think on this one? Yeah, I mean, it's, it was just a, a classic action scene, really. With lot, a nice use, I mean, it was very impressive that was an actual subway car being flying through a wall. wall. With Michael Fassbender actually being the one stood in front of it, if yeah. that story is to be believed. So that was all very well done. Fight sequence was very Fighty. typical fight sequence. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't really sure about the the guy on Magneto's team who has dreadlocks as whips. That was yeah, a bit weird. Yeah, I didn't really. I don't know. Is that comic accurate or? I don't, I don't, I don't know. know. It's not a character I was aware of, but it could could well be. Yeah, it was a bit weird. There was an f bomb from very, Cyclops. Yeah, a very unnecessary f bomb that felt very forced. Now, in theory, if that film is uh, going to be rated. PG, or 12A, sorry, I've taken you back to the 90s there. Uh, They can only do that once, I think. There's a certain number of F-bombs that you're allowed before you tip over from, like, 12A into, like, 15 territory, or too many and you've just jumped into, like, 18 territory. So it's a 12A, so I guarantee you that's probably the only F-bomb in the movie. I mean, if you're only going to have one, you could have used a bit better than that. (laughs) I suppose he's taken over from... uh, from Wolverine, in a way, he's normally the one f bomber in the movie. Yeah, I would have saved it for somebody else, maybe. So there's a funny story around the practical effect in this one that Simon Kinberg was telling us, which was that they they used a real subway car and they pulled it through, you know, a wall that they constructed, but that uh, the train didn't stop where it was supposed to, and it was supposed to stop at a certain distance away from Michael Fassbender, but actually stopped around six inches away, and the guy didn't flinch. It's very impressive when you see it on camera. I, mean, I suppose it was behind him, so he probably didn't even know. He probably didn't have a clue. You would imagine he'd feel the uh, the air pressure. Either way, the man does not flinch, and it looks very cool on, on film. So, I think probably my... I think I'd probably say that was my second favourite. I think I'd say Space Mission was my favourite, New York was my second favourite, and Genosha Genosha was, was probably the least favourite of the three. Yeah, I would have to agree. Yeah. And certainly... It probably doesn't sound like it in the way we're talking about it, but for me, it's made me more excited for the film. I feel like it's going to be better than I thought it was going to be. See, I think I'm still on the fence. I'm a bit worried about it. The way I'm looking at it... Well, not worried, but just a bit like, mm, I don't know. Yeah. The way I'm looking at it is, it's probably going to be the last one. Disney Marvel is probably not going to keep this cast. They probably won't keep this timeline. They won't keep any of this history or this, this storyline. So I'm just going into it with a, well, whatever happens, happens, really. Hopefully I'll enjoy it. If I don't, it doesn't matter because there isn't another one coming. Uh, If I do enjoy it, that's great. And I'll probably be a bit sad that it's over regardless. There's not a lot riding on it. No, that's fair enough. I'm a bit... I don't really want another reboot as well. I know, but we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. It could be four or five years till we see the X-Men on film again, which is actually really sad, because I enjoy these. Regardless of 
you know, I enjoyed Last Stand for what it was at the time. It's not, it's like Batman and Robin in a way. It's not a great movie that you think of in hindsight, but you maybe enjoy it at the time, depending on the circumstances in which you see it. I enjoyed Apocalypse. I didn't think they did Apocalypse very well as a villain. The Egyptian stuff at the beginning, I quite enjoyed. There are parts of it that I've enjoyed, and I, I look forward to an X-Men movie, and I love to rewatch an X-Men movie, so it's going to be sad not having them around for a while. Yeah, yeah, that no, sounds reasonable. So, X-Men Dark Phoenix, uh, or Dark Phoenix if you're in America, because apparently we still have to have the X-Men moniker at the start, is in cinemas from June the 5th. You can book your tickets now. It is directed by Simon Kinberg and stars Jessica Chastain, Sophie Turner, Michael Fassbender, James McAvoy, and the usual crowd. And we'll cover it in a review when it's out. That brings us to the end of this week. Sad noise. Oh. <laughs> So next week's going to be our MCM Comic-Con London special. We will be there for all three days. We're going to do some interviews with some comic book people while we're there. So that's going to be our first podcast interview, which will be very exciting. We're going to bring you lots of action from the convention floor, talking to you all about it, all of the cosplay, all of the celebrities, all of the, the stands of what we saw, what we bought, what we played, what we did. should be very cool. So tune in next week for that one. Until then, I have been Neil... I have been Martin. And we'll see you next time. Bye!